Um, hello, everybody, and welcome back uh, to uh, another episode of FNI Rap Chat on the Headstuff Podcast Network, brought to you by Film Equipment uh, Hire Slash Store. And uh, two cool things are happening today, which we're really excited about. Uh, we're on episode 111, everybody. Can you believe it? God, time does fly. Um, we're really excited today because Sean T is joining us uh, today. How are you? Hello, everyone. Hi, Paul. Hi, everybody. Hi, how are you? Can I just not, can I just pop you up here for a second? And uh, <laughs> you're like the, the the soundest doctor uh, you could ever meet. How, how are you doing? Not too bad. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Happy to be in the studio and for German Goggins to be popping my cherry. Oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> my podcast cherry. I don't think you can say that anymore. <laughs> no, you can't. Uh, but yeah, can you? Can you say that? Like, oh. what? <laughs> Off to a blinder here in the Headstuff Podcast no, Studio. Podcast. <laughs> What's Podcast that? Studio. Uh, so, yeah, and we're also uh, joined by uh, Dermot Goggins. How are you doing? Very well, thank you very much. Thanks thank, for having me. Thanks Jeff. for coming in. I'm delighted you could squeeze us in between all the car chases and explosives yeah. and, <laughs> and everything else. How's, uh, how, how's things? What have you, have you been on? Have you been busy uh, over the last couple of months? Pre uh, planning stuff? Or? Not really, no. no. No, it's been pretty quiet, to be honest. Um, this kind of this small pandemic thing that hit, I don't know if you're aware of it. Um, what about it here, here as well? Yeah. yeah, apparently it's, well, I don't know, that's what they're telling me anyway. Uh, no, I've been pretty quiet, to be honest. I've obviously, uh, uh, last kind of, I've worked last week in December. I've been doing a little bit of development work on a couple of shows that I was lucky enough to get involved with. So I've been kind of sitting in on kind of Zoom writers' rooms and, and feeding a bit of director's input into some scripts that on series that I can not talk about and one that maybe I can talk about. And, um, yeah, so I've been doing a little bit of that, and that it's really kind of if they will go, I don't know. If when they will go, I don't know. Um, obviously, funding and uh, broadcasters has been a big issue in terms of what might get sidelined until next year or never, and then what will go and when it'll go. And obviously, there's a big question. Things are beginning to move. The last two weeks, I've kind of got a little bit of movement on things, um, but there's still a massive question over uh, protocols, guidelines, how we go back to filming. Which is probably going to bore people to death because I'm sick of it at this point. It's quite interesting, you know. The UK is a little bit behind us. The Americans are kind of going through a bad place at the time. So, like Amazon Studios, I know, and Netflix are trying to get back, but they're they're implementing a bigger protocols and they're quite scared about going back to filming. Um, so I think they were trying to get things back. And as I said, in the last three weeks, I've maybe had more calls and talk about things, but there's still a still a lot up in the air. So just fingers mm. crossed it gets going sooner rather than later. And would people you'd be talking to now about stuff, would that be on the back of Bulletproof? Yeah, Mixture. Bulletproof is, um, yeah, it went, I mean, went down pretty well. I mean, it's playing in, in America at the minute. It's playing on the CW in the States. That's a bit of, I think it's doing okay. It doesn't pull in huge numbers. Um, it's kind of mediocre figures, I think, for America. You know, obviously it's a big, but on the CW it does okay for them. Um, so a little bit from that, it did really well on Sky. It, it hit at a kind of a good time in terms of co the lockdown had just happened and everyone was stuck at home. Yeah. And it was a box set that landed and so the figures were huge. You know, the first episode got a couple of million, which is for Sky is unreal, you know. That's I think it's got one point something, 1.5 million downloads, which is huge for Sky, not for other broadcasters, but it's big for Sky. So it's done, it's done really well for them. It and Save Me Too, I think, were their two big shows over the lockdown period. So yeah, a, a bit on that and then a bit on... Uh, Silent Witness still travels huge for me, you know, I, I still find um, most people will have watched an episode of that, and it, it travels quite a lot, so it's between that and, and then a really good agent. <laughs> of the two, Silent Witness is probably the more international 
not like just in terms yeah. of like say the setting because bulletproof is very london yep and like i'd say there might be some american people who would kind of either not understand what the lads are saying or would just kind of feel that it's not something that they want to kind of dip their, their toe into in a sense yeah it's funny because it's like i think it's exactly that um they don't understand what the lads are saying and i think it's also even though it's kind of high concept for british tv you know it's kind of low concept for american tv you know the americans are used to kind of do smash bang and wallop you know and so we do it on a much le less budget than they do in america you know so it's like we try and do it on half of what they do right. in america so you're trying to achieve you know that so it's, it's kind of it's high concept but it's lo-fi at the same time you know so um I think it's uh, also it's America, you know, you know, it's huge. There's so many shows and so many different networks, and it's you know. It's I was always curious, how many bangs are you supposed to get for your book over there? <laughs> Sorry, you Paul, you can't say that definitely. <laughs> Bang as as in ex explosions. Come on, don't be. That's not in terms of budget. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, they did. <laughs> that was a really poorly timed joke, uh, but it worked because I laughed. Um, yeah, so it, like, I mean. Bulletproof's made for like under two million. We make it for under two million. And how many episodes is that? It's under two million episodes. It's there's eight. Eight this season. There's eight this season. Yeah. Right. So that's like, I suppose to that's a, it's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money when you start driving cars around Amsterdam. You know, you start I was going to say yeah. Yeah. So you start, you know, we spend a lot of money in Amsterdam and shutting down streets in Amsterdam because it's a one-way street. It's quite tricky, you know, to do our one-way kind of system. You know, it's quite tricky to do. Um. So it's not a lot of money, so you kind of have to be really prepped. So it was a lot of prep, kind of having um, storyboards and animatics and put it together. We basically knew the sequence inside out before we shot it, you know. So like I worked quite hard with a storyboard artist and then we turned it into an animatic, which is basically a lot. Uh, we record the storyboards and I put sound effects and pictures on it. So it looks like a, it's basically a moving image storyboard. And so we played that to the team and everybody knew kind of almost shot by shot what we were going to do. Um, we shot that sequence in like in a day and a half, you know, which is incredible, oh, wow. you know. It's like so. Uh, so it was pretty much really precise. Kind did of you build a model of Amsterdam in a way? We did. Built, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, we did. We built a model, um, kind of a model sequence of the bridges, and then we kind of drew out the map, and then had small little cars driving over. Yeah, we did all that. Yeah, it's funny. It's great fun, you know, because you're sitting there trying to plan that out, uh, and then it's, there's just so much that goes on that you don't understand. Obviously, there's the the directorial aspect of actually putting that together, but then the actual production aspect of we had we watched the sequence. It's on my Vimeo page if you want to watch it for anyone listening. If you look really closely, you'll see that there's um, we had to have stewards at every doorway along. So the, the stewards who were kind of PAs, our set assistants, who were dressed up in uniform who were standing at doors because the danger was someone would open the door and step out on the street and there's a car driving down. So they're there <laughs> and like, you know, we kind of, we had to walk along, you know, and like you say, look, you pretend to have a smoke. You pretend to be tying your lace. Yeah. So that they look like they're part of the background, you know. And if you look closely, some of them are really good, and others are standing there with their hands in their ears, you know, looking like security guards. Because it's quite mad because y you can't close down everywhere, and it's just always that danger that a stray bike will come off a street. And yeah. So it was quite, it was quite nuts, you know. At the same time, obviously it was very safe, but you have to be overly safe. And I, I imagine um, insurance is much higher when you're filming in a city that has a, a canal that one could drive into accidentally. Yeah, well, it's it's so when we when we wrecked it, obviously kind oh, of Reykjavik, you were in Reykjavik. No, no. <laughs> I wish. Sorry, Paul, there are going to be loads of these. Uh, yeah, well, this, yeah, that makes well, two of us. When we wrecked uh, Amsterdam, so this the stunt sequence, the part of the magic of bulletproof is that it's the kind of the banter between the two boys that's kind of the heart of it, you know. So how the two guys knock knock the crack out of each other, really, and so like part of the magic of the stunt sequence was that it'd be a stunt sequence, but that they'd have the banter. 
And so we, it's quite focused on them. Um, Ashley drives stunt drives, and we trained him a stunt drive. But because there was a canal on one side and listed buildings on the other side, it, it, we were like, it's kind of a bit dangerous. So we got what's called a pod car. So we had a car which basically the driver's on the roof. So oh. uh, it's a dummy wheel, you know. So, so Ash sits there driving with the driver's on the roof, and he basically operates from the roof. So we could mount cameras on the side of the camera, on the dashboard, on the bonnet, and shoot. And he pretends to drive and turn. And oh, brilliant. So you had that. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. So you basically shoot it, but this guy drives on top. But the mad thing about this guy is that this guy is like, there's like a point, I think a point two of a second, a point three of a second delay oh. between him turning the wheel and the actual car turning. It's nuts, you know. So he, he has to anticipate. Well, he drove it like loads of times, so he could know. So he's kind of anticipating the corner. So he's turning, and he has to turn like point two or three of a second before the turn to make the turn, you know. Which is when you think about it, it's quite mad, you know. Uh, so that was quite nuts. So he he did that. So we had a pod car, which is part of it, and then a lot of it was stunt double driving. So there's a mixture of stunt double driving where the stunt double did, you know. So the stuff we did on on a Russian arm. So we had a Russian arm, which is basically a really fast Mercedes car, which has a crane on the roof. Okay. It can drive and match the speed of the car, so we shot a lot of it off a Russian arm, um, which was incredible to use. So basically, I see it in the back of that. So it's the driver, it's the car, then the focus puller usually sits in the front seat. Then there's the operator, me in the middle, and the DOP. We all have monitors. And, and I was going to ask if you were operating anything, just for the crack, just to say you did. You no, know? the funny thing about it was <laughs> we got in the car. Out the back of a car. It was like. the first time the, our operator used um, a Russian arm, and, and they use wheels. You know, they use wheels to operate, so pan and tilt. There's oh, like yeah. these steel yeah. wheels in the back of the car, and we're going like about 60 miles an hour. So your man takes off a half pace, about 40 miles an hour, ripping around corners, and obviously trying to operate <laughs> in a car. You know, I'm trying to do it. I'm doing the movements here. It's great if you've seen. But he's trying to operate, you know, and as he's going around a corner, sure, like the camera's up here and down here. The first time, the first take was. You know, a disaster. The, car, it was, the camera was looking at everything but what we wanted to look at, you know. So it was incredible. It was great, a great experience to do that level of stuff. But it's, you know, it's, as I said, it's, it was a big budget for me. It was the biggest budget that I'd worked on. But it's not a huge amount of money when you, when you get down to it, you know. Mm. And just about those days, so you've got a day and a half in Amsterdam and you've got it planned out so well in advance. Like, on the actual day, are you just sitting there hoping it works out? Like, what's your actual job? Because, What's, because what do you because actually you've kind do? of directed it in advance, right? What do you you've, do you've, here? you've choreographed it, and everyone knows what's happening. It's probably like person under most stress. I imagine the, is the first AD. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So what are you doing on those days? Um, <laughs> what he's in Amsterdam, to put you two and two me, together. You told me this wasn't going to be a probing question. He's sitting there probing me. What do you do? What are you? What are you? No, are you do? are you talking to the lads in the car? Just yeah. tweaking. I mean, performance? there's two things. One, exactly. It it, it exactly that. One, as you well know from shooting. Um, Everything that can go wrong mm-hmm. will possibly go wrong. So one, it's it's fighting the problems that are thrown up against you, which is sometimes the shot that you had planned for some reason doesn't work out that way. So it's it's tweaking that shot. Um, you know, sometimes you've planned it, as you said, like simple things like lenses. You thought you might shoot on the fifty mil lens, and you get there and you realise that the fifty mil lens isn't right. So like it's picking a lens. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of you know you know the shot and you're working on that. But exactly that, it's great because it frees up the time to work with the actors. So. Mm. A lot of the banter they do is unscripted, like a lot of stuff is not scripted, so it's a case of sitting in the car. We did a lot of rehearsals, we just drove around, the lads would kind of banter, we kind of work out a way of kind of putting some sort of script together that, you know, for the continuity person, we'd have something that they would go on, you know. And then, and then, so it was really that. So it, it is in a way, you do sit around kind of watching the clock a little bit and hoping that it all goes right. And then just, it's, it's basically 
like everything in film terms for me anyway, you make a plan and that, it's great to have the plan, but sometimes you throw that plan out the window, you know. Yeah. So sometimes you're there in the day and the actor says something or, you know, you, you plan to shoot it as a two shot this way and, and the actor will say, well, I'd love to look out this window and do this magic moment here. And you're like, oh, that's brilliant. So it means putting the camera now somewhere different, you know. And it's about having the ability to do that and to see that. And so when you have the plan, you can go, well, actually, you can stick to your plan if you feel that's still the right way. But if the actor's giving you a great idea, which most of the time they do, you know, they kind of go, that's much better than I ever could have imagined. You just adapt and go with that. You know? adapt and knowing how it will impact your yeah. sequencing, the edit and everything like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. And then maybe it also impact the day, you know, because I was sat down and said we would have timed out the day very um, microscopically with the first AD. And so to kind of go, look, to do that shot, it's going to take 20 minutes. Do you, do you do this as another shot, which means it's adding another 20 minutes? Or do you scrap the last shot? And so I was just trying to balance out yeah. the kind of maths of if I do scrap this shot, what, how, does it impact, how does it impact the sequence? But also, how does it impact your day? You know, I think what a lot of, definitely for me, when I was uh, starting out as a director, you know, you, you always felt directing, uh, part of directing is the kind of aesthetic uh, beauty of, you know, creating the shots, telling the story, uh, working with the actors and creating what everybody sees. The other part of it is the kind of time of, you know, definitely on TV series more so than film, but is, is your day, you know, you have a schedule, there's a very set schedule that you have to hit as a director, you know, and so 50% of your job is telling the story, but the other 50% is, is making sure that the day has got, you know, so if you've got four pages or two pages to get, it's up to the director to make sure that that's done. The first AD implements that and helps you get that done, but if you're not completing days as a director in TV, you get fired very quickly, you know, You'll, and so... I wasn't really aware of that, you know, so you have to be conscious of that and uh, and I know there are some days you don't get because things go wrong and wh when you compromise and when you don't compromise and, and that, that's quite, I uh, for me that was probably the hardest part because I came from a very visual background, so it was all about the kind of picture for me a lot of the time. John might tell you more, you know, in my early days as a director, I wasn't very good <laughs> at actors, I'll put the hand up myself, you know, I was, I was probably very, very focused on, and, and as I've kind of got on, I'm less focused on the visual now because it comes very natural to me and I spend a much more time working out stuff with the actors and trying to figure out some motivations for the actors and to figure out the kind of structure of their journey throughout the script or whatever, you know. Um, and so, like, it's kind of moved on. But one of the things I was terrible at was time. You know, I just felt you had all day, you know. I, I never realised <laughs> that, you know, you, you, you know, you kind of went, well, this shot could take 40 takes. They're like, yeah, you know, if you take 40 takes... <laughs> The only shot in the film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and so it's different. Film and TV are slightly, even though they're coming closer together at the minute, they are they are slightly different in that you're a little bit more or more of an auteur in the film world where you you still have a day to get, but your days are less. You know, like on a on a movie set, you're probably doing two to three pages a day. You know, uh, on Hollywood, they probably do half a page. You know, like on a Star Wars, they probably do half a page a day. You know, uh, where we were on Bulletproof, we were probably on a big stunt day, maybe two pages a day on a big dialogue, so if you're doing studio stuff, you might do four or five pages a day, you know. Casualty, we did like 10 pages a day. Red Rock, I was doing 17 pages a day, you know. Uh, and Silent Witness was like six pages a day. So like, it's kind of something that, uh, I think a lot of, well, definitely for me, and a lot of directors coming forward, they don't really understand that kind of notion of what you have to do. And it's, it's, that's hard, it's being able to figure out, uh, like this scene takes 40 shots, well you'd only have three, so how do you do this in three shots? Wow. You know, economy, figuring out economy. Exactly, and it, that's directing, you know, directing is emphasis. For me, it's, it's about emphasis. Where is the scene? What's the emphasis on the scene? You know, where, where should the camera be? And I tend to block my stuff now with, if, with one shot, you know, I kind of go, if there's, if there's one shot in this scene, what's the shot? And I start off with shot, one yeah. shot mm. and then, then let it develop, you know, and sometimes it'll remain as one shot and you kind of go, this can all work as one shot. 
not just about interrogating the scene to go, well, where's the perspective here? What's this scene actually about? And who is this impact on more? You What's know? the changing point? Well, you might be talking, you know, you, you as the actor might be talking, but actually the, the, the most interesting of the beat is just the moment in the scene is me listening because the impact was what you're saying is the drama. Yeah. It's not what you're saying, it's the impact on me. And so the shot is actually my face, not you. You know, you might, nice we, we can hear you. Well, I mean, I've, I've captured your face before, Sean, and so I've cut it out more times than I put it in. That's what I was, um, well, actually, because you mentioned that short film we worked on like about 10 years ago, and you were maybe saying that you weren't as focused on the actors, so, uh, but also you were saying that maybe your time management wasn't great. So you were right in one of those and wrong in one of those. So, because we did a scene, um, it was this like a 25-minute uh, TV uh, short film. And I'd say the scene that I was in, it was like a one day scene. The scene that I was in was maybe three pages long or something, but it was pretty much the only thing we were shooting that day. And Jim had sat down with myself and Onadul and Nasani Khouni and we rehearsed the scene and we rehearsed the scene and we kept on interrogating the scene and we actually shot nothing before lunch. Chatting through it. Like but it was just chatting, finding, finding <laughs> where the scene was. And I remember kind of after that day going, Jesus, that, he was brilliant, that director. Because he really like we really figured out what the scene was about, and then after lunch we sat down and we we shot the scene, and like from an actor's point of view, it was like it was an amazing experience because it felt like, because uh, like I said, I was a day player, and a lot of times you're brought in as a day player, and it's like it's a running train, you have to jump on the train and mm. just kind of try to hit your mark, say your lines, don't get in the way of the main actor's kind of job, yeah. um, and there's not that much time spent interrogating your role in the thing when in fact we like we spent the entire before lunch talking about it and rehearsing it, and then shot it after lunch. And so that's probably an example of you, actually, your focus being on the acting, being on the storytelling, but maybe not great time See what management. you did. See what you created, yeah. for fuck's sake. Yeah, I know, I mean, I, I'd bring <laughs> it First, he probably wants to kill you. Yeah, it's funny, because I kind of find it's like the, the beauty of kind of what, of film, TV, whatever, what we do is, it's like, um, it's kind of very much in the moment, you know what I mean? It's a kind of a, probably a term that's bandied around a lot, you know, in the moment. People kind of, what about me, you know? But it is kind of the thing where you're like, you know, you have a specific two, three hours to do that scene. And that's it, you know. And it's like, that's scary as hell because you're like, God, you know. But then there's also something really amazing with that because you kind of go, in that time, at that moment, at that particular headspace, I shot the scene that way. And I, t I always look back at stuff and kind of go, I shoot it completely differently now because I'm in a different headspace mm -hmm. now, you know. And it is kind of, that's what's horrible about it because you kind of go, oh God, I think I've done it wrong. But there, there kind of is no wrong and... I think the thing about it is I would eat, I'd shoot a scene really quickly and visually I would kind of block it like in two seconds because if it's written really well. But I, the, for me, the magic is interrogating. It's kind of going, well, what, you know, what is on the page? And I'll have done my homework to a degree to kind of dig into that. But really good actors will come to set with interrogation work done too and they'll kind of go, you know, for me, this is what it's about. Well, that's, presenting that's the, your stuff you didn't expect. That's or the you magic, you know. The magic is, you know, it's like on the page is two people having an interview about... Um, checking out these people in the movie, it's about checking if these people are, are okay to be parents in a future world, you know, like so on the page, that's what the scene's about, but that's boring, you know, it's like, what, what's going on deeper down? What's that person thinking, you know, what's, what's their relationship? And so digging into that relationship and then for your character, it was like, well, what's going on in your head? Is, are you, we all, I remember at the time having conversations about, is he robotic? Does he have emotions? Does he not mm. have emotions? You know, anyway, it's like, it's, is that thing of like, it is the more you interrogate it, the more you get out of it, but that's where the, you know, on TV schedules, you get really no time to rehearse, you know, you get, you know, I think the most I've had is like probably five a week. Um, but in that time you're working, and especially as you kind of move up the chain a little bit when you're working with slightly, say, bigger actors, you know, 
um, they've no time. They're they're jumping between three shows. Like Ash was jumping between. He was doing Top Boy for Netflix. So I think I had him for a day. You know, so you have a day, and you're trying to. I'm trying to do three episodes. You got to pick out maybe the you know three key scenes or three key moments. I mean, to be honest, with you, I don't even rehearse the scenes. I just talk in general about yeah. kind of the character or where we want to take him this year. And, and for someone like that. Who, who knows, they know the character way more intimately than I know the character. What I know better than them is probably the script, the three individual scripts. And so, you know, that's the kind of, so it's trying to spend that time on set and figure out, you know, it's balancing that time versus shooting time versus rehearsal time and, and figuring out, you know, and, and that's kind of the, the hardest part about the job in a way. We might uh, uh, shift gears, excuse the pun, and just uh, kind of, I might pin you down about some, some challenges that you've, you've faced over the years. What's the most difficult experience you've had working so far? And how'd you overcome it? Um, probably like uh, how did your problem solve that problem? Uh, probably dealing with um, uh, difficult, like difficult production. I was about like in that. Um, things I suppose dealing with like difficult actors maybe dealing with people that people uh, uh, I'm not going to name people because that would be terrible let <laughs> me um, um, one dealing with uh, on my early days on when I one of my first kind of big jobs was doing an episode of casualty you know and uh, I was quite a, a young director quite inexperienced and thought I was a bomb you know and um Went in with all my highfalutin ideas to kind of shake up casualty and make a, you know, an episode of Breaking Bad or something. And um, one particular actor just didn't like me, you know, just didn't really like me at all, you know, and just like wouldn't kind of look at me. And, you know, I, I kind of found that quite hard because I'm quite, I'm actually quite an emotional person, even though I don't come across that way. Most people kind of think I'm a heartless son of a bitch, but I'm actually quite emotional and I kind of take a lot of things to heart. Um, and I think it's kind of, what kind of makes me who I am in a way, you know? And I took it I took it to heart. He basically just had no time for me. And I gave him, I went in a scene, one of the first scenes, and I was giving notes to the actors. And I went in and gave a note, and I went to give him a note, and he kind of just went, sorry, what? And um, I was thinking, he goes, sorry, don't ever talk to me about my character, ever, like, and turned and walked away. I was like, oh. And you're standing on a set, you know, you've got <laughs> other actors and all these cast and crew, you know, and you're, you're the director, you know? And you're like, how do I deal with this, you know? It's like, oh. And I remember just kind of literally thinking, I just want to collapse and die right now, you know. And he, he was a, a regular on the show. Ah, okay. Um, it's hard, you know. It's really hard. And I, I kind of just turned. Look, he didn't end up in casualty. What? Yeah. <laughs> turned, and went, turned and went back to my monitor and kind of looked at my monitor. And I'm kind of going, I don't know what to do this next. So I actually kind of confronted him after lunch. Uh, we kind of finished. And I, I knocked on his um, trailer. And I went in and I said, listen, I don't know what I said or what I did. And, you know, he kind of had a go with me. And then I kind of, kind of apologized. And I said, listen, I'm sorry. Uh, I was just trying to make the best scene possible. I didn't realize that, you know, I had stood on your toes. If I did, I didn't mean to offend you. I said, listen, I'm not asking you to be my best friend, but can we just make this relatively cordial because there's eight more days of filming or ten more days of filming, whatever it was. Can we just get on with this? You know, he said, yeah, I'll make it as cordial as I can. But he didn't. Oh, and, um, mm. yeah, we got, we, it was horrible. And that was really hard. And I kind of, but that was, that was really difficult. And the other side of it was maybe just dealing with difficult um, producers. I kind of had a, kind of a bad experience with a producer who I kind of felt was, I could trust him. Couldn't then I couldn't trust him. That was quite hard to kind of know that they were. He was trying to do things behind my back, and I was trying to do things, you know. And, and, and he was kind of stalling it, even though and he was he was kind of being a bit kind of 
the anus a bit kind of do blisters about and kind of go and tell me one thing and then saying something from over here. That was quite hard. That they're kind of so in some ways it's kind of boring because they're challenges that like you kind of deal with on everyday life rather than kind of a very practical filmmaking challenge. But that was they're probably the um the hardest things I kind of found is that actually well they tie in. I mean absolutely dealing with these kind of pitfalls are exactly what people need to hear about to encounter because it's not all you know plain sailing once you're in the door. You know there's the misconception that start getting a few gigs or whatever and then you don't have problems. You know, they escalate in, lo in, in different ways, I would imagine. Am I right? They just get bigger, I think. I think the problem is it, the, the bigger the show you kind of go on, the, the bigger the problem becomes. You know, and that you've kind of, I would say the difference is that when you're in a smaller scale, let's say when I did my, say my first short film, you might have one executive producer who's kind of looking over the shoulder giving you some notes about your rushes. Uh, Back in Ireland, the last <laughs> the last thing I did had thirteen execs, you know, yeah, some yeah. in America, some in Ireland, or some in the UK, and so you can imagine what thirteen notes are like coming into an edit suite, you know, and it's like just that's just thirteen opinions, and so and each one of them has their own kind of merit as an exec. So that's kind of just the level of it. Just gets there's more people really, and and TV's probably become a bit more execy recently. It's just more execs and more people in, you know, trying to give you, you know mess up your vision sometimes and other times give you really good notes and it's kind of just trying to siphon it out and kind of figure out where you are in, in all that you know because um as a director you are important but you're not the be all and end all you know it's like there's and new t modern tv has showrunners obviously the showrunner is the, is the is the head head boss he or she and they dictate pretty much everything and sort of as a director you can have a say but if you're overruled you, you're overruled by the showrunner or you're overruled by the producer how do you look after yourself in the, in those circumstances i mean do you have do you, do you consciously uh, practice anything like mindfulness or anything just to deal with that to get your head around that or do you thrive on that which is off which can be the case also um i don't the amount of responsibility and day-to-day and -day, you know tasks and stuff notwithstanding all the other negative stuff you're saying um probably go i, I like mindfulness no not so much probably like i enjoy swimming and i go going to the gym and actually just sweating it out kind is of thing. that an arsenal crest probably your jumper it is, yeah. it is an arsenal probably crest. that stuff as well i'm not really it's funny because it's that, like people that always would put me. you in an early grave <laughs> i'm not really an arsenal <laughs> fan i actually went to the i, I brought to the emirates last year uh to watch arsenal in the semi-final of the europa cup and um i had a great day out i walked into the store and i bought this and it was the, <laughs> it was the least arsenal top i could buy because like it was black and you could barely see the crest and um I bought it and everyone's like, you can't believe it's for Arsenal. I was like, I don't really. I just like wore the top because I like it. So I kind of, I don't really support them. So, you know. Yeah, that's what Liverpool say, fans used to say, say for what 30 you years. Want. <laughs> uh, I don't really. So I just kind of, I just thought I'd, I'd buy something because that's what usually what I do. You go somewhere, you're like, all right, let's buy a, a goodie bag to go home with. <laughs> uh, sorry. Go on. Um, I was going to ask you actually about, so doing a couple of episodes of something that is then handed on to another director. Oh. Like, how do you, do you, like, at this stage in your career, kind of know what your style is? And is that something you kind of bring to a project? Or do you kind of go, right, I'm going to approach it, like, with a total blank slate and see what the project says to me? And then how do you kind of sort of be true to yourself in the episodes that you direct, but also not make them, like, stand out in comparison to other directors in either a good way or a bad way or just, like, totally different? Yeah, it depends, I suppose. And so, like, um, Soil of Witness are kind of each year they make eight episodes, and, and um, a block is two episodes. So, I direct two episodes. So, I did episodes, say, one and two, two years ago, three years ago, did the first two episodes. And the next director comes in three and four. And they tend to be kind of standalone episodes. Like, they tend to be kind of a block of two episodes, even though there is some serial stuff that kind of goes on. So, if the characters are in a relationship, that will continue on mm. through the. But the actual day to day 
story, the week, the weekly story, so to speak, is is in, is different in each one. So you can kind of stylistically do what you want in Soil of Witness, you know. So it's not really follow through as much. It's, they don't have a house style, let's say, where you kind of have a book. So on a show like Casualty, there's kind of a house style. So you kind of get given a little book list, which is kind of like house style. So when it's I did series bible, it, it's kind of it's kind of like a series bible, but it's more aimed at directors. So there's kind of so on, casu- on Casualty when I did it since changed because there's new producers in, but. Uh, you weren't allowed any handheld cameras. The camera could never be handheld. Nice. So the camera had to be on on oh. on a tripod or on dolly. Um, but you could never use handheld. Um, this is probably a trade secret, but who cares? Um, you you couldn't shoot red. There could be no red in your production design. The only place there can be red is in the is in casualty. So because nice. it's so the blood will kind of stand out more. So oh, wow. when you went to a set, like we picked out a set that was great, but the, the carpet was red. We had to recarpet the floor because they can't you can't have red. You know. So it kind of works quite cool because what it means is when you see red, the red is really striking mm, and it really pops. stands out. You know exactly, yeah. So it's kind of a so you can't shoot red or you can't have red anywhere in your palette, um, handheld. There's no they didn't use music on at the time, so you couldn't use music. And then like there's things like, uh, like what I kind of said about a minute ago, which is kind of a little bit anti-directing, but um, if if there's kind of regulars in the scene, you have to put the camera on them at some point, you know. So like, like for instance, like where I did a scene. And I didn't put the camera on a, on a regular because the, the regular didn't really have a lot to do. And um, so when I got the edit, I was asked, where's the close-up of, um, you know, Mary? And I went, uh, I didn't have one. And they were like, <gasps> it was like massive tick. It was like, I'm sorry, Mary's in the scene. And you're like, yeah, but you don't do that. And they're like, I know, but like, she's there. And like, they were, the exec kept saying, I mean, I'd cut to her there now. And she's not, she, she wasn't, she had nothing to say. She had no dialogue and she was literally there. And even the actress was kind of going, I don't even know what I'm in the scene for. Like, I could be a home dude. So like, I remember just giving her like a, a, an injection. So she stood there with an injection kind of going, I'll just, you know, pretend to be doing this. You know, and she did it. And I got kind of scolded because, so a, a kind of thing would be if it's a series regular, you have to put a camera on them. So you always have to shoot things like that. So that impacts your directing style because yeah. I wouldn't, you know, like the truth is, and I'll very openly say, if an actor is not doing anything in the scene, I age sometimes try and get them written out. Or B, I just won't give them the coverage because I'm like, you're not, sorry, you're not going to get a close up, you know? Because German Goggins, the M- uh, Goggins, the enemy of of actors. Well, no, it's 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 about the scene. Wow, you that's know? fucking seven hundred no, quid a day. You're it's about the scene. <laughs> but it's about the no, scene. They probably still get paid. It's about well, the scene. Unless... And I'll I'll talk to the actor about it and kind of go, look, you know, unless sometimes and sometimes the actor will come to go, listen, I was thinking, I'm not in this scene. And sometimes you can write them out and say, look, you know, tell you what, go take an early lunch because you're not needed for this. Or sometimes you'll kind of go, well, actually, you know what? It's not scripted, but later on, you know, this moment happens. Yeah, let's just reference that now in this scene so that it builds. Back, and they'll kind of go, great, you know, so you kind of will implement something that will work. Yeah. But like, there's that kind of, so that's on that one. Say, Bulletproof, I did, I was, I led directed, led, lead directed it. So I set the style pretty much for the first three episodes. And I, I'm kind of quite classical anyway in my style. I kind of would, um, kind of, kind of got, like I, I'm, I'm a fan of tracks and stuff. I don't shoot very little handheld. I only shoot handheld when I kind of feel it's story purpose. You know, it's, it's going to impact the story somehow. Um, so like I kind of set up a style which is kind of very classical. I, I don't like coverage. I shoot really li- little coverage. Like you know, it's like I shot at least three one shots every day on bulletproof. Like one, sh- like a steadicam one shot. You know, it's all it's all going in. Where I'd block it in one with the actors kind of moving and talking, and, and actors love that because yeah. they're like you know it's it's. Not that it's theatre, but it feels a bit more like, you know, you get one shot of this, they kind of, they can time it, they can work it. As opposed to kind of wide shot, blows up, blows up, blows up, blows up, which is like a bit boring and gets a bit repetitive. I, I do a bit of that from time to time, but I don't shoot a huge amount of coverage. So, um, but then if you watch Bulletproof, the first three were me, the second three were a different director and the last two were another director. And they're all stylistically really, really different. Like they didn't really have, 
it's much more handheld than the third block. Like the that director was a big fan of handheld. It's much more handheld. It feels feels like a different show in some ways. You know, so there's a little bit of style book versus bring what you want, and yeah. it kind of so you kind of what I would say is you bring a little bit of yourself to it, um, and then you kind of sometimes are forced to do a little bit of something that's not you, and then it's about standing up for yourself. You know, I think as you get more experienced, you, I will fight for certain things more than I would normally fight for. So if they're looking to cut to someone for a reason for cutting, I'll just point blank to refuse to do it. Uh, and I'll just stand up and make a point of why it's not why I'm not doing that cut and how it's going to, here's why it's not being done. And most of the time you win where they're going to go, fair enough, I see why you're not doing that. And sometimes you lose because you lose out to someone that's paying your bills. You know, as a director, if the exec or the producer turns around and says, this has to, look, this, this is the way it's going to be, you, you do lose out sometimes. You, know, you, you, you play ball. You have to. You, you kind of have to. I mean, you can to a degree. I think you just kind of, you pick your battles as well, I would say. There's some battles you kind of go, I'm not giving up on this. I'm going to fight for this till the cows come home. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that, but I'll give you this kind of thing, you know. And if you kind of play that, you know, that's the kind of way it is. And for me, it's like if, if, a, if someone gives a note, that's a good note, that actually impacts the scene and, you know, plays the scene better than it played, I'll happily do it. But if it's a case of just cutting to somebody just because, you know, we pay them a thousand pounds for the day, it doesn't, doesn't matter. You know, like, you know what I mean? Is it yeah, that's yeah, not... Yeah. Um, but that's a, it's a battle. Throwing good money after bad kind of thing. Just mm. putting them in the scene because you're paying them when in fact you yeah. shouldn't have been paying them because it shouldn't be in the scene. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, there's no point. And it is a problem on sometimes on regular TV shows like that, you know, because they kind of go, oh, there should be 60% of Mary in the scene and suddenly Mary's in scenes. That sh- and, and for actors, as you guys would know, you know, it, there's nothing worse than standing in the background. What am I doing here? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Um, is there a difference between working with Irish and English crews? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, no, in terms of level of, no, not really. I think there's no, not that I can pick out. No, I think they're all, they're super, super, they're both are brilliant, you know, I've, and I've worked with crews in Amsterdam are equally brilliant. Maybe the only difference here is that sometimes the, the level of work that we're doing here, you know, in terms of maybe the high end work that we're, we're starting start doing beginning to do more of it now. So with less, not, lesser resources. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you, but again, I'd kind of find for me, I think it's about cutting your teeth, you know, doing a short, as you guys will have done, doing lower budget stuff um, as a director definitely makes you think more, you know, about how you, you know, if you only have 20 minutes to do a scene, it makes you think about it. You know, when you go to the bigger budget stuff, you have more time, you have more toys, you know, uh, you know, just because you have a drone doesn't mean you need a drone. doesn't mean. So it's like, what is the story? You know, so it's all comes down to so sometimes working in that world. M- m- I started off my world in documentary, you know, as, as Sean would know, I worked a lot with his dad, who was a commissioning editor in TG Carr for many, many years. And um, I worked in documentary, he made no money to do lots of stuff. And it was, it was, um, <laughs> but it, it was great because, it, and like Red Rock is a prime example, you know, Red Rock was done for pittance, you know, and, um, you know, I just, I embraced the pittance and, stuff and just, they kept saying, you know, what do we do, what do we do? And, you know, for me, it was on, there's only one way to shoot 12 pages a day. Uh, and that's just no coverage. You know, it was like, you know, we can't, this isn't going to look like a soap, you know. So some of the episodes, definitely that I did, um, we're slightly more cinematic, you know. I'm, you know, in that I just shot less coverage, and everyone's like, "Oh, this looks a bit different." And I was like, "Well, it's because you're not doing the standard, you know. We're not making it look like a soap." Mm-hmm. And so I did a lot. Of st- I brought in a, a kind of a movie, which you did a lot of stuff in a movie, and and so it that was the only way to complete the time. So really, it was a case of this is the way I wanted to do it, but it was also a case of it worked for the schedule. You know, they were struggling to complete schedules. I'm not saying that I changed all that. I'm just saying that they were struggling because they were trying to get coverage. Yeah. And trying to write four actors, and we start what we started to do is write less. So write two actors in a scene, which meant there's, there's less coverage for two actors in the scene than there is with six actors. And they started to just get a bit clever about how they did it. 
and then they kind of pulled it, which was such a shame because it is. I was just about to say it's 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 almost criminal because it. I mean, it was it, becoming amazing because it was great for actors. It was a, a great cast of actors on it that were super experienced and some that were inexperienced, and it was great for them to get kind of camera experience. I went in at the time where I'd kind of done a couple of casualties. I was still relatively inexperienced when I came in, but I kind of knew what I was doing to a degree. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing to just, it was a great experience to go in and do it. Work in Ireland, work on a show where the execs and the producers were really happy to kind of be inventive and be creative. And um, it was kind of, a, in a way, a training ground in some ways, you know, for a lot of people. And then it kind of went, you know, but um, it was a great shame. And, and I think that's kind of some of the problem here at the minute is that we don't have, I suppose I got my big, big breaks in the UK, you know, as in I've kind of made it to where I am now because of the UK, you know. I got a lot of breaks here in my early days with TG Carr, um, a little bit of RTE, and, um, but never dramatically, really, other than the shorts I made. I, st- I kind of struggled a little bit to get into drama in this country in the early days. I couldn't, I couldn't do it, you know. Um, and, and that's not in any way being negative to anybody or any... It's just the, the level of work wasn't here for me to do it, and so I had to look abroad to get that work. So that's a kind of... That's tough, and it's a consideration for, for people moving forward. Like, do you, do you want to go away to... you know you, you want to go away. People have families. They don't want to go away. People, you know, so it, it, that was tricky and I found that quite hard. But it, it kind of got me to where I am. And if I hadn't have gone away, I probably would not have gone into drama to the level I've, I've got into drama now. And you did, know, it, did it force you to up your game? Go, going away? Yeah, well, I mean, it forced me to... I suppose the thing was I, I got a, an agent. I mean, the big thing was an agent, you know, which I yeah. didn't... Again, I kind of went to film school in Dunleary, made films, wanted to be a director... Uh, along with 30 other people in Dunleary and came out kind of going, hey, where's Hollywood? And um, <laughs> it never came calling, uh, funnily enough. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just kind of assumed you'd come out and you'd get working and, and it didn't really happen, you know. And I kind of, I really had to kind of take stock and go, what, do I, what am I going to do here? So I got into documentary, made that, and, and then felt wrongly that documentary would get me into drama, which it doesn't, you know. It's like I was a documentary guy. I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, but like, oh, I'm a storyteller. They're like, nah, you're a documentary guy. Yeah, it comes up quite a lot that a lot of people feel as if they, they, they um, regardless of whether they do straight doc or whether they're doing docudramas or whatever, they find an incredible resistance. No matter like what success you've had with docs, you know, you go in, you're treated like you're starting out afresh. Um, is that true to a degree? Do you think? Yeah, it's I think more to it than a degree. I think it's true. You know, I mean, it's even true within. Um, again, it's not. I suppose there is a little bit here, but like the the Rust and the Ruins, the fair cities of this world. If you if you get in that world as a director, certainly, and probably the writer, which Sean could maybe add on a little bit, um, you're kind of you, you're hemmed into that world a little bit. You're kind of seen a little bit as a soap or a continuing drama writer, you know, uh, rather than just being a writer. And like and that it's a process to learning a Rust and the Ruin or a fair city or an East Enders script. Uh, it's just a process of kind of moving up. And so there's there's this kind of balance where this continuing drama world, which will be Rust and Ruin, East Enders. Red Rock to a degree was because class was continuing drama, and, and so was Casualty, Holby City. They're the big shows in the UK that I can see, see in that world. And that, that you're kind of if you're in that world, you're in a continuing drama world. Then if you do Silent Witness, they class that as high end drama, uh, and then high end drama goes all the way from Silent Witness to to Hannah to Bulletproof to they're the bigger kind of budget mm. shows. But you, you, making the leap from that continuing drama world into the high end drama world is really, really hard. And I know a lot of directors stuck in that rush. You can't get out of that world because they're do, they've done too many casualties. They've done and too I, many. How did you make that? <laughs> I, I, um, two, I suppose I, I, I never did any continuing... I, so I did casualty before I did Red Rock, which was a continuing drama. But I never seen it as a continuing drama. And I suppose my episodes 
uh, I made them slightly different. I never shot them in a kind of standard way. And they got me an agent in the UK because they were kind of, they, they thought the work was really good. Um, but I was really, I'm really selective and still am. I think there's, and I just want to preface it, because some people listen to this probably are doing continuing drama. I'm not in any way dissing it. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's something maybe to be careful about or just think about a little bit. Um, is that you kind of need to get out of it. Is in that you kind of need to go in, do a little bit, and kind of get out. You know what I mean? Which sounds terrible because you're like, what are you getting out of? It's like you're in a prison. Well, the same applies for actors with soaps as well. You know, it's tricky. You know, it's a tricky one. And look, if you're if you're really happy doing that, then great. But if you want to get out of that, this is kind of sometimes the, the trick. So I I did when I my first episode of Casualty, they they offered me one episode. So sometimes as a way to break in new directors, they just give you rather than a block, which is two episodes, they give you one. So I got one just in case you messed it all up that they could bury it somewhere, you know never, what I mean? Never, so I got in and went really well and so I did one and then they offered me a full block which was two and I said to myself, that's it, that's all I'm doing, I'm doing three episodes and I'm out the door, you know, and even if wow. I sat and got no money, so I did three episodes and then said I'm never doing casualty again. So they offered me to come back and do it and I said no and then off the back of casualty and, and a bit of Red Rock, I got to do an episode, two episodes of Silent Witness and they asked me back for a second year and I refused it and they kept kind of going back and saying, come back and back and back. Ah, and come on, go on. And the writer that I'd worked on the first was writing the first episodes of the next two. And he rang me and kind of said, look, come on, like, I'll show you the script. I think it's going to be really cool. So I went back into two. So I did four episodes, two, uh, two seasons of Solo Witness and then said no. And said kind of, I'm never going to do any more. And that's my way of doing it. I don't know if that's the way to do it, but that's kind of my way of doing it. I kind of say to myself, that's it, move on. And then I can never be said that I'm that guy. I'm not the, that guy or that mm. guy. And you're also, I suppose, continually challenging yourself by doing something new or something in a slightly different genre or arena. Yeah, and like, you know, there are directors out there that have done 20 episodes of Hobie and are still are doing bigger shows than I'm doing. So I'm not saying that's the... But it, in my understanding of what I've done, I would say to maybe people who are trying to just be a little... You've got to be kind of selective, a little bit selective and be a bit careful. And as long as you're getting something from it, you know, if you go back and do another episode because you want to try out a certain shot or work with a certain actor, well, then that's great. But if you say to yourself, well, actually, I'm just doing this to kind of pay the bills, that, that kind of sometimes can be the tricky one. Do you know what I mean? And that's where the balance in this world comes because we, we have to pay a mortgage and we want to work. And so the balance is that I, I kind of have taken the, I've sat out for a couple of months not working, taking a hit financially to try and allow myself maybe progress in that career, rightly or wrongly. It's working okay for me. Does it work perfectly every time? No. But um, I still get refused, you know, for every year I probably pitch 10, I get one or two jobs, I get refused eight times, you know, I still get, you know, refused more times than I get picked up on. So, <laughs> you know, and just saying that it, that's the way I've done it. And so maybe yeah. that's the way you can think about it. Speaking this, of two actors, um, I think we're well aware of the using of projection. Yeah, <laughs> look. It's, this often comes up in the podcast and we ask pretty much everybody who comes on, um, how do you deal with being told no? <laughs> and, <laughs> Professionally, professionally only. I was going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to lie back in the chair there and say, "Well, I've got this big problem with no, no." Um, uh, my dad. You know, it's 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 kind of hard, isn't it? It's really hard. Um, I uh, pitched for a big Netflix show uh, this time last year, and um, I put together what's called a mood reel. So I was I was trying to be really proactive about it. Um, um, a, a show called The Witcher. It's a big show on, mm. on Netflix. And they had done the first season, and so the second season came back, and I thought, hey, I'm going to go for this. 
we put together a mood reel, so which is like basically the tone of the show. I kind of kind of got some images and and some visual work, and I put it together. And I kind of got a two or three minute kind of package, which I thought hey, this is this is what I think your show. This is how I would do it if I was going to do it. Pitched it to them, and they, they really liked it. So I kind of got in the room, um, albeit virtually, with um, some execs to pitch for that, and I pitched for it, and I, I just didn't get the job, you know. And I was gutted, like you know, I really felt I got close to it, and I was like. And uh, I kind of I hit a bit of a low, you know, and I do. I kind of hit a bit of a low, and you're like, oh, fuck, I'm bringing the soldiers, and I'm out, and, you know, it's just, you know, I'm going back to work in IKEA or whatever. And it's, uh, and I still have their moments, you know. It's like, I think sometimes people always go, cause I, I, I wouldn't say I'm hugely active, but I'm a bit, I post on social media, do a bit on Twitter, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's a way of bigging yourself up, isn't it? And kind of, you know, it's like, rather than upload my seat, I put up pictures and say, and people are always like, oh my gosh, you're doing amazing. You haven't stopped working since like 2012. You're like, well, yeah. <laughs> it's not the truth, really. You know, it's like, it's like you know, social media kind of lies quite a lot. You know, and it's like, some, yes, I'm doing well. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm not. But there is times where I'm, I get kind of really like down and kind of think about it. The thing about it is, I suppose, is what I would learn from it is that one, it's not personal, mm-hmm. even though you feel it's personal. It's, it's rarely personal. It's rarely a kind of a personal... It's personal sometimes. It's personal to you, <laughs> it's personal to you, you know, but it's, it's rarely a kind of, you know, there's other things that kind of get in place. And I think rather than, I've kind of just learned to, or I'm learning because I'm still kind of trying to get through it. It's just trying uh, not really let it get, get in on you, you know, it's just not, not think about why you didn't get it. It's that kind of classic thing of focus. Just move forward and try and get on with it. It's, it's, I don't, the, the, the short answer to it all, Paul, really is that I don't really deal with it. Like no. I don't really. No, I don't. I don't. You just I don't, on to the next thing, and then it dissipates. I don't really deal with it. Like, I, and I don't know if anybody really does in a way. You know what I mean? I think it's like I think it's the hardest part of our job. You know, it's like anyone been told no. No one wants to be told no. You know, you don't want to be told no, and you do. Even though you don't take it personally, you do. I do take it personally. I kind of go, oh, they didn't like me because like, and like, it's, and it's, it isn't that. And I think it's, I think the only way I deal with it is by moving on and kind of going maybe that it wasn't for you. And sometimes what I've started to do recently is is someone told me years ago quite a big director actually who's doing really really well for himself now and at the time I kind of contacted him and he said um, and I, I didn't get it at the time and he said uh, what was it? he said he was like um, only I'll work with make sure you work with people that want to work with you you know <laughs> he talked to this guy like he's done some big stuff he's done like Daredevil for Netflix and like he's kind of a really kind of hot director right now and I was like yeah uh, now I think about it I kind of go actually it makes sense there's a lot of sense to that where you kind of go and sometimes you meet people and like you sit around the table and you, you gel. We meet people you really gel when you kind of go, you know what, we're going to make some good stuff together. Yeah. Go and make good stuff. And sometimes you don't. You sit around the table kind of going, oh, I'm not sure about this. And, it, you know, sometimes then people are on big shows and you're like, I really want to be on this show. But we're, not, we're not really getting on. And what tends to happen there is that, that same relationship will go on throughout the shoot, you know, and you'll kind of be in a position where you're given ideas and the director's kind of going, nah, shut up, just do that. And you're like, oh, no, but oh. And so sometimes so that thing of work with people you want to work with you know, hopefully then people will go on and do the shows you want to do. And then sometimes it's a bit like the grass is always greener. Like my, my problem in life is probably I always kind of get on a show and I'm like, okay, when I was doing Casualty, it was the best thing to wear for my mom because my mom was like a huge fan of Casualty, you know. The Brenda Fricker days, she was like, Casualty, my son's made it, you know. And I was like, it's <laughs> Casualty, get over it, you know. <laughs> and, and it was, at the time, it was big for me. And then Soil of Witness was big. And, and I probably don't relish that sometimes enough. I kind of just go, right, next, next, next. And I kind of don't, and that, in a way that's good because it gets, it, it drives me on. But in another way, you kind of forget to kind of relish it, and some, you know, I kind of ha- I'm getting a bit better, kind of sitting back and kind of going, just be happy with your lot for now. You're doing okay. You know, it could be worse. Yes, it could be better, but you're doing okay. And I'm, I'm my own worst enemy. Like, you know, I do kind of sit there, kind of going, you know, 
I'll see about you doing a St. Patrick movie or something. I'll kind of go, Jesus, why am I doing that? You know, because that's the best thing in the world. And you're sitting there kind of going, why am I doing what he's doing? Because he's doing great. And you're off doing a voice uh, I'm, not, I'm not doing anything. So it's a <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Everyone's always doing better <laughs> than you. 111 podcasts. I think everyone's always doing better than you, you know. And I think that's kind of sometimes, yeah. it, actually, you're, they're not. You know, they're not always doing better than you sometimes. And, and it might oh, yeah. look that way, but it's, it's not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think it, we need to be? A, do you think in this country we need to be a little bit kinder to people in that regard? Because there's a lot of kind of looking at people and going, "Look at this, B star, star T," you know, that kind of nature of begrudgery, and it doesn't. Like, why is it? Do you think that when we do make a leap or we do go to the UK or people do have the balls to go to the states, that things happen for them? You know, who would have been, you know, downtrodden or judged or, you know. Certainly kept in within certain parameters over here. Why is Paul that? Paul saying he drowned trod me for his whole life. Going, that could be shit. How's he doing over here? <laughs> no, but what I'll, t- I'll tell you what I do. Uh, I'll do like about you is that you're yes, you do the work and the credits are there for all to see. But I like the way you, inter- you interact and engage with people and go. I'm. This is what I'm doing right now. You're throwing stuff up online. You're you know you're being creative. You're breaking stuff down for people and you're you're open to engage with with people. You know, and and I think people in this country are pretty hard on people who do that. Because they think the neck of them, or they're being, or they're shown off. Or I don't know. Boisterous. I they still are. I, you see, I like. I personally, I'm really happy for anyone who was nice, and nice to work with, doing well. Yeah, me the, too. The, the thing that I find harder is seeing people who are not nice or not nice to work with doing well. Mm. You're gonna go, oh, really? Do you deserve that? <laughs> well, I, I kind of see a lot of it firsthand because we've a big network of stuff, yeah, and yeah. I, you know, and I interact with a lot of people, and I see the, you know, a, a bit well, more of that maybe. Two things, in a sense. Paul, and I think one is what you first said when you came in here. You said something about, you know... Uh, Who's that prick think he is? Yeah, and I said, <laughs> well, you know what? That's the last time I ever come in. We'll get you here. Now, um, I think it's like, there's a t- two things. Is that like, I'd have killed for a lot of this stuff when I was a young fella, you know what I mean? As in like, and I think when I grew up, like I, I always, I looked to, my, my kind of reference was Empire, the magazine, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all I kind of looked at, you know? I, I had no real reference point for film in this country or TV, and I, I didn't really know what it was. Um... And they had a, something like FNI or, uh, you know, a film Ireland was around at the time, I suppose, and it was a mago I used to look at. I think that this really helps, you know, being able to kind of talk about it. And I think a lot of people feel that there's kind of a magic to it, you know, and there's a magic to what I'm doing. Um, and that in some way, I'm, I'm the kind of like the Ronnie O'Sullivan of kind of filmmaking or TV or something. It, it's not true. I work really, <laughs> really hard at what I do. You know, I don't have any magic skills that no one out that's listened to this probably has. In fact, some of them are probably better than me and more talented than me. Um, I've just kind of put my foot to the pe- to the floor, you know, and kind of worked hard to get where I have. So it's a lot of kind of um, perspiration as much as inspiration, you know. It's like working quite hard, working hard. And so you kind of go, I think maybe ne- people kind of feel that there's a magic touch, you know, and there's not. First off, there's not. And second off, I suppose people just don't know. I try and be open about it because I, I, I always looked for people to help me and certain people did help me. Derville Walsh was really helpful to me when I grew up. Lenny Abrahamson was really, or Lenny... Abramson, whatever you want to pronounce it, was really helpful to me when I made a short film, watched it and gave me notes and he, he mentored me on one of these schemes. And I've kind of since you know, kept in touch with them and they've helped me. They were just friendly in terms of they didn't give me a job, or, but they just were there and I could talk to them or email them. And in the same way, not that I'm in any way the same as Lenny or Derville, but it's kind of nice to know that, look, I'm kind of, you know, there if someone wants to just have a chat or just talk about what I did or how he, you know, come and have a chat, let's talk, you know, and... um think that's kind of helpful to kind of have that and I think mm. that's why I think this is great you know it's great that there's so it exists and you guys are doing a really great job to try and get that out there um and so I think that from that regard is the other thing that you kind of pick you up on and I know I'm not sure but sometimes I feel the kind of begrudgery 
first off, I think part of it's just an Irish thing. We're just like a bunch of begrudges. And I love that about us. You know, we're all like, <laughs> it's kind of great. It's what it makes the magic. I also well, think. Still making films, eh? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's like I go to the barber and they're always like, uh, what do you do? Is I work in TV. Oh, I put this 52 inch screen at home. You wouldn't know how to fix it, would you? No, no, I don't fix the TVs, you clown. Uh, um, I think sometimes it's to do with. Um, it's what I spoke about a little bit earlier, right? And it's like, um, maybe it's the fact to do that sometimes it's because people aren't getting the opportunity. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I think like, you kind of feel a bit hard done by when, uh, I think like in America, it's probably less prevalent because there's so many shows, more people are working. Do you know what I mean? And so it's like when someone gets a chance, it's just like, you know, there's probably one drama made here a year and there's one director doing that, you know, and so you're kind of going, how did he get it, not me? And there's two actors and there's, how are so maybe it's to do with sometimes with that. It's, the, it's because f- people feel, and then people that do get to a certain point feel protective of that. They kind of go, you know, if I let Sean or Paul in here, they're going to take, they could take my slot here, you know? And like, and that's a real, that is a real thing, you know? I don't know if that's necessarily malicious. I think it's like just, you kind of, as a, as a, as people, we are protective of what we have, you know? And it's like, oh, I have something that's mine. I don't want to give it away necessarily. I'm, I'm less scared of that in a way. I kind of go, if someone comes in and is better than me or does a better pitch, like take the job, go for it, you know? I kind of find that a challenge. But maybe there's a little bit of that as well in that like, I think if we had more work here, it was more stuff. People felt they could do more. Um, maybe, I don't know. And that's maybe just standing up for a little bit for people. But I think like there is there is a little bit of that. But I think we're all like that. I think we're kind of raised like that. You know, I'm the same too. You know, you're always looking around and people are going to go, oh, wow, how do you there? You know, whatever. But I don't know. Maybe it's... And for people like who might be listening to this and might be interested in becoming directors, mm. say, like I know you, you did film school and mm-hmm. you started off, you were making documentaries. Mm-hmm. And around the time that we met, you were making that, you made that short film, which was through a sort of a development scheme that TG Cahar ran. And then after that, I think I remember you were shadowing some directors on some drama series that TG Cahar were doing as well. So like, is, is that... St- You've been stalking me. <laughs> is that still, do you think, is that a good approach? That kind of a thing? Like, because you, you've mentioned the idea of sort of demystifying it. And actually, yeah. it's all down to hard work. Mentorship, and, though scratches that itch doesn't it yeah it does i mean it's the thing about it is i get i get asked this quite a lot you know and i've kind of done a little bit a talk or two in say griffith college and a talk here in the the film base at time and do a few talks and it's hard because you know like if you kind of want to be a solicitor you go and you do this and you do that and you become a solicitor you know this industry is really like it's really hard to go what do you actually you know um so some people will go the first assistant director route, be a first assistant director, and then that would leap on to directing at some point. It doesn't always. It's not a natural skills. It's not a natural yeah, process. Yeah. Some people go into script editing and kind of go that way too. It's it's really hard. So like the the I say I'd like to de- demystify it. It's hard to kind of say here's the here's the route. I had a particular route. I think the mad thing is everyone has a different route yeah. towards you know. The one thing I I would always say is, and I think a lot of people say is is kind of ne- make stuff. You know now now we live in a world much more so than my world, and I'm, I'm not that old, but when I was a little bit younger, um, the internet has made things so, so much more accessible. And I think make stuff, you know, shoot it on your iPhone, shoot it on, find a group of people who, you know, actors, filmmakers, and try and make a, a short and, and make stuff that's really good, you know. The thing about it is, I think people are going out there and shooting a load of stuff, right? So it has to stand out. You have to have a good script, you know. People just go out there and, you know, here's my friend, here's my mate, and we shoot this. I'm not saying that. I'm saying sit down, Get a writer, or if you want to write, write a good short film, make it three minutes long, get a DP, mate, shoot it, shoot it like a movie, and make it the dog's bollow of what you can make it, you know what I mean? Get your actor mates, if not, email actors you like, 
a lot of actors, and you guys will vouch for this or not, a lot of actors are approachable. If you, up, you know, if they're doing nothing and they're scratching their arses, they'll, they'll like to act, you know, they like to kind of practice their skills and kind of go, you know what, I'll do this because I want to actually get out there and see. And it's also that thing, it's this director making that sure could be the next big thing. So you're like, you know, mm -hmm. so make stuff, make stuff, make stuff and kind of even just get out there and make one three minute film, get it up there, get it to film festivals. The world has become that kind of place now where someone sees it, you know, you're in the door making stuff and then, and then figure out what I always say to people is try and, and it's hard, it's a bit like when you filled out the CAO years ago, it's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? But what do you want to do? What do you, what do you want to be? You know what I mean? And, and it's kind of really important to kind of go, I want to be an actor isn't enough anymore. It's like, what kind of actor do you want to be? Do you want yeah, to be yeah. in EastEnders or do you want to be in Hannah? What do you want? To, what do you, and people are like, well, it's the same thing. You're like, it, can't, it is, but the kind of process of that is kind of, and so, you, you know, you do get stuck in, in EastEnders for 10 years. It's great and you'll get paid, but it might be hard to break that duck and get out of EastEnders. So you're kind of going, so it's, it's a tricky one. And same for directing. It's like, what, what kind of director do you want to do? If you want to make movies, I would kind of start make, trying to make movies, trying to get a feature financed, trying to get shorts financed. Going into television and making kind of serial television isn't probably a great way to make a film because it's like, it's, they're kind of, they are slightly two separate routes. Mm. They are... What's happening more and more is kind of film directors are going into TV, but it's the other way around. If you make TV, it's like it's harder for me to jump onto a movie. You know, it's like so. Is, is that part of the plan? Make a movie? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm trying to develop a few things at the minute. Um, trying to get a few things off the ground. Yeah, at some point, but at the minute, I'm still kind of really obsessed with trying to get to kind of be at the high high end. I'd love to get onto kind of a HBO or a kind of a Netflix show and kind of. I mean, get on it first, but probably lead it at some point as well. But like, that's is it a is it as appealing making it like? I mean, is it more of a risk making a really good movie, but it destroying your career but having a good movie? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I've made a great little movie, but it made a fucking hundred twenty five euro. You, do you know what I mean? Like, is it which is more beneficial? Are you boxing clever? Do you, like, is it is it possible to be an auteur or, or an artist? Make a great film and still make money, and then go back to well, what you're doing before. <laughs> I mean, the making money thing is hard. I mean, I, well, I look to kind of like the likes to say like, um, like you know, like say someone like Lee Cronin or the guys who made the dig, you know, the Towel Brothers. Yeah, they're yeah. like Lee's off going to do a Texas. I know oh, he's doing um, uh, Evil Dead. Evil Dead, and the Towel guys are doing a, a new a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, it's like so they've gone from making kind of low budgety kind of features to you know Hollywood, really. You know, yeah. and um, and so. That's kind of what they wanted to do, or to a degree, you know. It's like so they're kind of they've gone that way, and that's the way they want. So are, are they, they? Neither of them, I'd say, made lots of money on the features that they made. You know, they've they made pox all, you know. But like that, that is the kind of film to a degree. At the lesser end, I think you seem to make less money. TV as a TV director, you can make you can make pretty good money. Like you know what I mean? You can make more money as a TV director. But the go the the goals are slightly different. You know what I mean? It's in terms of that they're they're flying off in private jets to Hollywood. You know, I'm stuck in a podcast studio in Dublin <laughs> so you you, you, you tell me who's doing better you know what I mean? no but like you know I think it's all I think it, it it's it's about thinking about what do you want to do and I, I kind of constantly rethink that and I think you need to rethink it all the time so that's like if you want to make a movie now but in three months time you go actually do you know what I want to make a TV episode it doesn't mean it can't change but I think you, you need to continuously just check what you are you're doing and kind of continuously try and think about where you want to go to how you go there and then I just think use people you know and I mean that in the best way I mean like you know, Net, I'm on, network and reach out. Yeah. Do do the work. I'm on this for a reason. You know, I'm on this to kind of say, here's my take on it. I'm not saying it's the right way, or I'm not saying it's the wrong way. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not telling you all to email me tomorrow. But I'm saying is, um, you know, reach out to people that you kind of have yeah. a, you you look towards and kind of go, look, I wouldn't mind being like that. What? How do you do it? 
take that, move forward, you know. And I, you know, I'll happily when I talk to people who I feel are in the right mind and are, are serious about it, I'll kind of help them, you know, kind of put yeah. them in touch with people, producers, or someone I might yeah. know that might be on the kind of point in the right direction, you know. And I think to be fair, most people are like that, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. like when you, when you feel there's a lot of there's people out there that are acting the Egypt, you know what I mean? And they're like, oh, I want it, and you're like, look, you're never going anywhere, kid. You know what I mean? You're like. You know what I mean? And that's being fair. There are sort of people you're kind of going, you're not really serious about this, you know? Cause, and you can kind of sense that. You know when someone's deadly serious about it, you're kind of going, I'm going to help this person because I know that they're really trying. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are, you know, if they're not really trying, they're kind of lost. They're blind and, and kind of point them in the right direction, you know? Yeah, we with Michael Smiley on last week and he said something very similar. He's like, I have no problem with anybody reaching out to me. I will help anybody up a ladder. But if you're a fucking agent, I'm going to let you know about it. Yeah, well... <laughs> But it's, it's so he told you. Uh, he, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, and he told me to fuck off. Yeah. And, then, and, and uh, how did I get his number? Well, the one, the one is like, you know, it's like never, never bring. Um, I can curse on this, kind of. Of course, yeah. Never bring a fucking idiot with you because there's always one there. You know what I mean? And it's like it's true, you know. And then sometimes you're kind of going, "There's no fucking idiot here." Well, then it's you. You're the fucking idiot. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, and it's true. But it's kind of the same thing. I, I, I kind of meet people and they'll be like, like for instance, people who ring me and they'll ring me once every year. Now I'm thinking, and the, the same thing. It's the same thing every year. Now I was thinking about trying to get this done or do this. Now, what would your advice be? I was like. Uh, it's the same as I gave you last year. Like you, you ha- I haven't really. seen any progress. You haven't come back and said, "Listen, I tried this, 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 mm. and this, but I hit a brick wall." Can you help me? I'll kind of go, "Okay, fair enough. Let's try this." Whereas you know, it's like they meet you and they kind of go, "Oh, listen, I, you know, you said about well, you know, like, look, I'm not going to tell you this three times. You know what I mean? I've told you already. Try this, try this, and try that. And if that works, great. And if it doesn't, come back to me. And they come back and they haven't tried anything. And you're like, well. Yeah. You know, I haven't made a movie. I'll say, make something, make so, me a short film. They kind of go, I don't have that. And especially even with actors, you know, because I get a lot from actors. You know, I get actors who randomly just email me or find my address on my website because my emails are pretty really ready available. I don't care, you know. It's like it's not, and they'll email and they kind of go, here's my headshot, here's my reel, here's my thing, you know. And um, I, I, and most of the time I'll, I'll I'll kind of look at it, you know, and I kind of, and it's the ones maybe that kind of every three or four months might just drop you another line or they might come back and say, I've made another short, you know. Sometimes you can kind of, you'll engage them, as, you know. So it's, I think it's, it's about kind of reaching out and making stuff, but I'll see people who will make something and I'll give them a piece of advice and say, look, go back and, you know, do something more in, to an actor. What is a show that you'd love to be on? They'll go, Succession. I'll come, well, try and do a scene like Succession. Like, do something that kind of guys because, funnily enough, although directors, but producers and directors sometimes look at actors and they'll see, like, like oh, I can't see him in that role. So if you kind of help them out and dress up to be in that, it does help. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that we don't have that vision, but try and just constantly do it. Like, trying to keep, keep going. Not going to go, here's my shoulder, here's my shoulder, and it's the same shoulder for the last six years, you know? Yeah, You've got yeah. to keep kind of changing it and shaking it up and trying to find... And a lot of the time, it's about... Definitely for me, it's about timing, you know? It's like, I, I meet so many actors, and some of them are, are, are... All of them are really good, you know? And then sometimes it's the right time, the right moment, the right role... And the other thing I always say to actors is like a lot of actors who I work with always like, oh, I heard you're doing this, give me a role. Like, I'll give you a role if um, there's something there for you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah. And I mean that it's nothing to do with your acting with it. It's just like that sometimes the age isn't right, the role isn't right, whatever. So it is about, I think my, myself, is trying to do as much you can yourself. You know, it's like just because you can't get in and do a Hollywood movie or you can't do a TV series, just keep doing stuff, keep work, working stuff. Yeah, people admire Walker Biz, don't they? And it'll come back around if you put the work in, you know? Yeah, and, and keep, as you said, networking is a huge one, you know, and you guys yeah. do a load of stuff, you know, where you're, you've got great people who are networking, like, and you see your events, you get great people, talk to them people, work on them people. I know you're like, you're doing, getting right, people writing shorts, making stuff, you know, it's like, so people, I don't think people have an excuse anymore, really, you know, and it's like... It's like it? you said, you could shoot something on an iPhone. No, I'd recommend people, if they're going to shoot something on an iPhone, to use a proper mic. 
<laughs> but like it's it's very possible that people actually could get out there and do it. Yeah. And yeah. I think people in terms of advice or people who are established, like I've come across so many people in this industry who are so generous with their time, like people who have come maybe who have gone a few rungs up the ladder, who, like you said, are very help, happy to help people up. Mm. It's just that, you know, a lot of those people are also very busy, so they've got limited time. So they might not always respond to your email or they might not, like, you know, it, like you said about timing, if you happen to email them at the right time or get in contact with them at the right time looking for advice and they don't have any, anything else on, they might you know, be in a position to be able to help you. Well, I think it's like, so I would say like when I, when I first started out, I did um, one of the first jobs I did was a passion fashion, which was a TV car dating show. You know? Yeah. And it's like, it's, it was great, you know. It was like Are we allowed to laugh at that? No. I thought it was deadly at the time. I was, <laughs> I was on an episode. Yeah. yeah and uh, I did the first ever gay episode. Sean wasn't on that one, by the way. I'm just impressed with that one. Um, it was, and they, bro they broke a lot of ground. Like, they broke a lot of ground, you know, when they did that. But anyway, but the point being, I did that, and it was a fashion show where the guy dressed the girl, you know. And um, it, it was a big hit for TG Car. But I used to get calls about just doing fashion shows. Like, so off the rails rang me. They wanted me to do it because I'd done, off, you know, because I'd done show. And so you became this... Then I, I landed a job. I did an open tears for a couple of years and I travelled and I became the travel guy, you know. So then I was like, like Woodell Media were doing one. They, they want a travel guy and they want a travel And so I became the travel guy. And then I did Silent Witness. You kind of become the crime guy. So you do. Then you, like, you know, then you become with Bulletproof. I'm a bit like the kind of cop action guy, you know. And you're like, whoa, 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 hold on. And so you're constantly, you are constantly being kind of pigeonholed. We try and box people a little bit to a degree, you know. So mm -hmm. that's what I kind of say to people is that like, just because you have... Look, you, I, I'm only saying this because it's the last thing I remember seeing you in. It's like said that well, it wasn't a, your St. Patrick thing, you know. People look to you, they're going to go, oh, that's the dude of St. Patrick, you know. But we, we, the next thing is a, a serial killer. Well, we're not going to get St. Patrick to do that because he was a saint in the last one, so we can't do a serial killer. Now, I'm not, that's kind of silly you're kind of going, but at the same time, if you really want the part in the serial killer movie, send your reel, but why not do a little serial killer piece? Like, you know, do your take on it. Go into a room, a dark room, whatever. Be clever. You have director friends, you have DP friends, you know people that can make this look good for you. Shoot it and, shoot, and be clever about it. And so show the person that's looking at this what you want them to see, mm. not what they see. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Because make, make it harder for them to say no. Exactly, because it is that thing. And I, I, I know it's, it's, maybe it sounds like a lot of work, but you know, people do see what they want to see. You know? So I'll click on it and I'll kind of go, oh yeah. And we all think about it. You know? Even though you know, the amazing actor, uh, brilliant actors, you'll see somebody kind of go, oh yeah, but like he's got a beard and I don't want a guy with a beard. And you're like, well, he can obviously shave the beard, you know, really easily. <laughs> but people do kind of sometimes think that and kind of go, well, how do I best put my, put my best foot forward? And sometimes that's been, that's why I started doing a bit of the mood reel stuff I've done where people are like, oh, he's done Solid Witness and I've gone for, like I've gone for a sci-fi show, you know, it's a big sci-fi show, but I don't have much sci-fi on my kind of reel. So like, how can I show something that's a bit more sci-fi? People go, well, hold on, you can't spend a fortune on doing effects. No, but it's easy enough to put like, a stupid lid in someone's face and do a scene that from outer space, you know what I mean? Or whatever, you know, and kind of make it feel... Yeah. And it's, I'm not asking you to, to make Alien. I'm just saying, go into a room and be clever about how you do it. And then, then the person watching that will kind of go, oh, okay, I've seen this guy do a bit of sci-fi, you know? Because there is kind of a reason why you see directors doing the same kind of jobs and actors doing it. It is a little bit of that. So you kind of, it's up to you. It's up to how you put your best... You know, you go out on a date, you clean up, you make yourself look nice, you put your best foot forward, so to speak. In the same way for a job, try and put your best foot forward and show what it is you want to show. I'm not saying that you don't show other stuff from your showreel, but there's nothing to say that you don't. And we have now become to a place where, I mean, it's so easy to shoot something on an amazing camera, like, you know, that you know, we all know someone, and make it look lit perfectly and look at, you know, we all, like I've seen it on self-tapes. Self-tapes go from, you know, 
still someone on their iPhone at home with a dodgy background, half tilted, you know, the tungsten, they, they still haven't fucking white balanced it and like, the face is fucking skewed and you're like, oh Jesus. And like, they might be the most amazing actor, but think about it, that's all you're looking at. You're looking at a fucking half skewed thing going, I can't really see her face because it's not a close, I don't know what kind of shot that is. You're like, moving on. You get on to the next one. So suddenly the most, and I'm not saying that it has to be the most super produced thing, but I'm saying, have a think about this, you know. I mean, a really good example of a self-tape. I've to- I know I've gone totally off the fucking radar. No, no, I'm, li- no, no. I'm like Billy Connolly does comedy. He just goes off and I fucking... I'll tell you, right? Think about the We had a scene says. last year and it was like, about a woman, it was like, the character was asleep, right? And the character was asleep and it was, uh, they were kind of, it was kind of a lazy morning post-coital scene. And it, uh, and, and the actor did it, right? I'm, I'm going to go off mic for a second. Because the, the actor did it with their face away from camera. I was looking at the back of the person's head for the self tape, <laughs> and at the at the end they turned around for the beat and went, you know what I'm saying? And for their last line, and we're kind of gone. I, I mean, so it's all well and good trying to block the scene. You're not blocking the scene. All I want to see is the visage. You know, and you, you're, what you're checking on a self tape is what's the face? Can this person act? And then secondly, most of the time itself is, and that's where you kind of get brought into the room a lot of time is can, can this person take a direction? So yeah. can you listen to what I'm saying? Can you take that on board and adapt your performance to what I've kind of said? And then, do I like you? Yeah, you know? I, know, I know you can act. Now, do the other stuff. Okay, I know you can act. You, you know, you've got an agent, you're there, here's your reel, I can see it. You know, so you're kind of going, you're great, I can see that. Now it's like, and so don't, you don't need to make it the dogs, but I'm saying, make it look half decent. Don't be kind of super intelligent. You, you really want to see a close-up. You know, to be honest, it's, it's really the face. And then you, you might want to do a head-to-toe still shot or whatever, you know. But I'm saying, just, just be, th- again, it's about putting your best foot forward. And, and so how do you make, so you, you, it's up to you, you know. So people are like, oh, I didn't get it because of this. Sometimes it's their own fault. Sometimes they haven't given themselves the best chance. And then sometimes it's like, you're just not right for the role. Mm-hmm. You've got to realise that, you know. But you've got to do the best job you can do. And I, I always say that to actors. Like, I've, I've helped a lot of actors do self-tapes and just try and give them, you know, ask people for advice, you know. Just talk to people and just, you know, don't pretend you know everything. I still don't know everything, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. Um, thanks a million. We could chat all day, oh, yeah, about, and right. maybe we'll get you back on again um, down the line if you're free and available. No, I'm not. I'm never available ever <laughs> again. No, no, no. no. Next no. pandemic, maybe. No, look, keep in touch. <laughs> as I said, keep in touch. I'm around. Let's see what we can do, you know. Yeah, Thanks absolutely. for having me in. Yeah, thanks a million. And uh, cheers, Sean. Great cheers, to have Bob. you. Cheers, Jim. Great to have you aboard. Um, guys, as always, uh, if you'd like to uh, help FNI continue its work, this podcast and our events and seminars and so on, Head on over to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash FNI. And as always, we're on the Headstuff Podcast Network here at the podcast studios. Uh, Yeah, um, stay safe.